Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. I know it's a bit of a weird time for us to be doing this, but we have good reason for doing that, I promise you. My name is Russ Steinberg. Greg Mitchell, my co-editor, is here as well. Lots to cover today. Um, We spoke earlier in the week with the head coach of Texas Arlington, that is Scott Cross. We'll play that interview for you in just a little bit. We should note, again, we recorded that interview earlier in the week. It was before the game that they just finished up playing. They were upset at Texas State, 81-73. to Though I will say that should not at all take away from the start that that team has gotten off to out of the Sun Belt. They're very, very good. They beat St. Mary's, the only team to beat St. Mary's, um, so far this year, also owning wins over Texas and Loyola Marymount. So, again, we're going to talk about the Mavericks. We're going to talk to Coach Cross a little bit later on. Other things we're going to go over, big game last night in the Horizon League. I know you guys were very, very um, into that game, or at least a lot of our Twitter followers were, as we get a lot of Horizon League fans joining us on the Twitters, especially from Oakland. And I know they were very happy with how everything went. Talk a little bit about the Missouri Valley Conference, in particular one team that I think we all expected to be pretty good this year and is living up to its potential, at least so far, Uh, that being Illinois State. We'll also touch a little bit on the Atlantic 10. Uh, Dayton has been Really, really good lately. A couple of other big scores to get to there as well. But first, there was another incident today outside the realm of mid-major basketball just a little bit. Um, But it did make some noise on the Twitters, and that's why I think it's worth touching on here. Did we have another Grayson Allen tripping incident today? I'm not sure. I've looked at the video many times. It doesn't look like it was a trip to me, but I don't know. Other people have opinions as well, I'm sure. Uh, Greg, what do you think? I mean, it's like it's like the same thing with, with Adrema and Green. I mean, they just they don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore, right? So if that leg is just a few yep. inches higher than you think it should be in a natural reaction or motion, it's, I'm calling it a trip in my mind. So... It's a trip. That's what I say. Yeah, that, that's the thing. So I've, I've got the gift playing right in front of me right now. And, and any other player or any other situation, I wouldn't think anything of it. But like you said, uh, Grayson does not get the benefit of the doubt anymore. I'm watching his, his foot does get kind of tangled up with the Boston College player on that screen. But as Allen stumbles forward, he definitely kicks that leg back a little bit. I don't know. If it was intentional or not, I would be inclined to say no, but I mean, it's, again, not given the benefit of the doubt here. It's, you, you just can't do it anymore for him. No. No, absolutely not. Um, I know Indomit and Sue had this problem in the NFL for a while. And I know, that, not that I don't want to bring football into this, but I remember there was I think it was Thanksgiving a couple of years ago against uh, Green Bay 
and he stomped on some guy's face and then afterwards was saying, you know, I was trying to protect myself. The guy was trying to grab me and all this stuff. It's like, no, you've lost it. And I think yeah. that's where Grayson falls now, sadly. So we'll see. Yeah, I, 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 I suspect this will not be the last time we have a situation like this to analyze uh, the rest of the way. Probably not, mainly because everybody hates Duke and everybody wants to see bad things happen to them. Yeah, he's now <laughs> – he has got the most watched – most watched leg in the country, probably. And I think that's something that we can agree on. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. So I think we, we needed to get that out of the way. I think that was important. Also very important, last night, Greg, I, I know we both watched the game, Oakland and Valparaiso, the, the Super Bowl of our Twitter account, if you will. Oakland, a huge <laughs> win on the road, 77-66 to over Valparaiso. Um, our writer Torrance had a great write-up on it this morning. You should check it out on our site. Um, what were your thoughts watching that game? You know, the thing that stood out to me towards the end was Sharon uh, Dorsey Walker was playing, you know, the last, you know, a quarter of that game just had some great defensive plays on Alex Peters. Um, I think there were back-to-back possessions where he forced uh, turnovers on uh, Peters, and this was still in Bath Week. They'd made their run. I think they were down between, like, five and seven points. Um, I don't think that's the side of the game, but, you know, it's it's a team that, you know, just is really athletic and can score. And then when you, you've got also a, a players, in this case it was him, but I think, you know, it's a lot of athleticism, obviously, on a defense too. Um, that's a team, if they get in, that no one's going to want to play. I know I feel like I say that all the time about teams, and I, I just I, – I really think that's – you know, it can be a scary team. We've seen them have off nights, but um, they looked really good last night. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. Um, Peters, we should note, still had a double-double, 20 points, 11 rebounds, uh, four assists to go with that. Um, but he was just five for 12 from the field, and I think the defense on him to contain him to just 20 points, as ridiculous as that sounds, was really good and no absolutely along along those lines and I think it was mentioned in the broadcast a couple of times is that it wasn't so much that Oakland was able to play its game and do whatever it wanted it was that Oakland took Valpo out of everything that it wanted to do um, on the offensive end and that started with not letting Peters find a consistent rhythm. Absolutely, and it seemed like, you know, towards the end there, it's like Shane Hammock was just, you know, uh, like he had the ball for about 20 seconds, you know, out of these uh, possessions. I know that happened a number of times in the last, you know, four or five minutes, and that's absolutely not what what uh, what, what, uh, what uh, uh, they want to do, as you said. And absolutely. They looked very uncomfortable, which is not the way you'd expect a team that has a lot of experienced players and one of the best players in the country to look like. Right. So now, you know, you, you step back for a second, you take a look at the Horizon League picture after this, and Oakland is 3-0 and in the conference. They beat uh, Wright State and Northern Kentucky, both at home before that. And th- those two teams, maybe not at the level that Valpo is, but they're two of the better teams in the Horizon League outside of those top two. Um are we looking at right now a situation where we could say Oakland is the best team in the Horizon League? I think so far they've at least proven themselves to be for the moment. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Northeastern loss, I, in, in my mind at least, was a little bit a, a little bit of a, a downer in terms of them, just because, you know, obviously because of all the interaction we have on Twitter, this is a team that we pay attention to a little bit more than <laughs> right. most probably. Um, but I think, you know, as we saw as a Northeastern open up uh, a conference play, and they were awesome, and they can really shoot and score. So I don't think that's a bad loss at home. Uh, Michigan State obviously is not – been, but that's still a, not a bad loss, and, a, and that Georgia is, is a good win. So, you know, and, and at the same time, help a loss that game at home to Santa Clara, um, who I know they've done okay in, in a conference play so far, but that's not a great team. So, I, yeah, I think I think the arrow is certainly, you know, on the favor of Oakland right now. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, that, that's not to say that Valparaiso can't, you know, still win this league or go to the NCAA tournament, they they have a pretty good resume themselves already. I mean, they've beaten Alabama and BYU on neutral courts. They beat Rhode Island, which was a huge win, and I, I think it's starting to look even better now that the Rams have started to find themselves a little bit. I know they lost to Dayton last night, but they've still uh, won four out of their last five. They're looking pretty good. And they beat Indiana State, a team that I think is a lot better than their record shows. So Valparaiso also a team that is still going to be very good, and they'll they'll get another shot at Oakland. They play there uh, February 17th. So this uh, the conversation definitely doesn't end with last night's game. Absolutely, and they don't. You know, it should be it should be noted that they're without their starting center. Uh, I don't uh, Chabril Atacoya, I believe is how you say his name, and he's a pretty good offensive player. The few times I've seen him and. That uh, Soroya that they have down with the freshman, um, I think the, the the guy on the broadcast, like the insane guy, kept calling him the uh, Condor, I think. And yeah. it was kind of an apt nickname because, I mean, he is he has a huge wingspan. Um, so, again, he's a freshman. Rick Smith's uh, son is on that team, too, as a freshman. He's like he, he's a, over seven feet, I believe. So, you know, there's some certainly some potential there for them to uh, develop. But, um, no, I, I, I would agree that. You know, right now it seems like Oakland's the team to beat in the horizon. Yeah, at, uh, at least for the moment, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, we're going to have to keep an eye on that league. Certainly, it's it's not one of the leagues that you look at and you say, "Oh, there are no easy games here." You have to bring it every single night. I mean, there are a couple of uh, pushovers in that league, but for the most part, it's pretty competitive, and you know, you, you shouldn't just say that it's Salpo, Oakland, and nobody else could beat either of them. Uh, so it's something to keep an eye on. Another league that I think is like that is the Missouri Valley. Uh, Wichita State, I think we could both agree, is definitely the best team in that conference, at least right now. But also playing really, really good basketball. Uh, teams like Missouri State, uh, Loyola Chicago's had its moment, so has Evansville. One more team, one that I think is better than those and maybe could challenge Wichita State as uh, as the season goes on. They play Wichita a week from today is the uh, the Redbirds of Illinois State. They're 4-0 in the Valley already, um, ranked number 51 in Ken Palm. No really bad losses. Uh, lost to San Francisco on a neutral floor. Lost at Tulsa. I guess the loss at Murray State Open the season wasn't so good. Um, but a bunch of nice wins uh, since that San Francisco loss on December 23rd. They avenged their defeat to Tulsa 
then beat Evansville, Loyola, Chicago, Missouri State, and Indiana State in that order to open conference play. Uh, Greg, I, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about them uh, today. I haven't had a chance to actually watch them play yet. Uh, wondering if you have or what, what your thoughts on them are. Yeah, I've watched them a few times. Um, in that um, exciting game they played against Missouri State on Wednesday night was um, – was was certainly fun, and I was kind of all prepared to um, head into here and talk about how I, you know, I think Missouri State is still the second best team in the Valley. Ronnie uh, Russo um, was not uh, he did not play in that game for Missouri State, um, but then Missouri State went and lost um, at home today to Southern Illinois, which is is not a bad team, but that was certainly a surprising loss. But but no, I think Illinois State is very athletic. They play really good defense. They missed a lot of free throws um, at the end of overtime there. Um, and that's that's something that they've had some problems with all year. Um, they're only shooting 56% uh, from the line. So, you know, but but Paris Lee is, is, is a very good experienced point guard. Uh, Mikhail uh, McIntosh and, uh, and uh, Deontay Hawkins are a great front line, and they really, really made a good Missouri State offense um, look not so good in that game. So, you know, it's a team that I, I think we like Wichita State a lot, but they don't have – the Van Vliet or a Bakers who, you know, you really can rely on in approving time. So I don't, you know, I think Wichita State's the best team, but why couldn't a team that can really uh, chunk up a game uh, give them, you know, problems? Yeah, and, you know, here, here's the thing about Wichita State. I, I agree with you. They're really, really good. I would like to see them have to play in a really close game on the road in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that's going to be what they have a chance to do week from today at Illinois State. I mean, their first three conference games, well, I guess the Indiana State game was decided by only eight points, but then a 34-point win against Bradley, a 25-point win against Drake. It, it'll be interesting to see if this team does get challenged, get pushed in a hostile environment, uh, how it responds and who's the one that's going to step up. I, I think Daryl Willis is the guy that we would – expect to do that, but it's, it's something that I'm going to want to see going forward, see how they respond to the challenge. Yeah, absolutely, because I mean, as you said, that Indiana State game, it was close, um, especially at the at the end. Uh, Indiana State made a late run, but, you know, there wasn't a large uh, crowd there in you know, Terre Haute, and it wasn't, you know, they weren't, the people that were there didn't seem to be as into it because the game was kind of, you know, a 10-12 point game for a lot of the second half, and at the very end, Indiana State made a run. So, no, I totally agree that that's going to be really fascinating to see them. You know, if they can pack the house in Illinois State, I was before this I was reading um, the recap that the local paper had, um, you know, Bloomington, and they only had 4,000 uh, people there for the uh, Missouri State game. Now, uh, Missouri State's not Wichita State, right? That's not the same name appeal, but that kind of surprised me. Um, so I'm hoping that they have some more people out there, and I think they will. For, for I'm sure everybody in the valley gets up to Wichita State, and um, now that Illinois State's won another game, then I, you know, presumably will have won one more before that game. I, I'm hoping that is a really good atmosphere. It should be a really exciting one. Um, something that um, I'm really going to want to watch. Uh, but before and I should we... say the weather was was not good around the Midwest. Uh, during the week, so that could be why uh, people weren't there. Uh, before we get some people yelling at us on Twitter that, you know, 
there was an ice storm or something. That could could absolutely have been the case. So I'm not gonna get mad at people for staying in. Yeah, you, you know, if there's any excuse, um, they will find us and they will tell us. Yep. Yep. <laughs> of course, weather also had it uh, had an effect in some games today. I think we have seven games got postponed. Actually, no, there's more than that because Gonzaga and Portland also won't be playing tonight. So bad weather around the country um, postponing some basketball for us. Um, Before we move on to something else, I think we need to stop and give a quick shout-out to the Bulldogs of Alabama A&M. Alabama A&M came into this weekend 0-13. They beat then 0-14 Mississippi Valley State by a score of 79-76 a game that just went final a little while ago. So Bulldogs are off the schneid. They got their first win. Mississippi Valley State still in search of theirs, but congratulations uh, to the Bulldogs. Very exciting stuff. Uh, so, so that means that we've got one. Yeah. So we have one win left and then one unbeaten left. Is that right? That that is right, and then I also keep track of teams who have not beaten a uh, Division One school yet, as well, oh, okay. because I don't like it. I don't like it when teams schedule non D one, but I know that a lot of teams have to sometimes. So at least as of the last time I checked, and this may have changed in the last couple of days, uh, but Alcorn State, Coppin State, Florida A and M, again Mississippi Valley State, and North Carolina A and T still looking for that first win. Uh, well, uh, Godspeed to them. Because just look <laughs> yeah, at Mississippi Valley State's uh, Ken Palm page. That's really depressing looking their Ken Palm page. Oh, I feel bad for them. Yeah, some sad stuff. Um, oh, actually, the, uh, Florida A&M and Coppin State are playing each other right now. And Florida oh, A&M has a 41-39 lead. So someone's getting a win. 9.30 to go in that one. So... Again, all of that's very, very important stuff. I know it's absolutely riveting, and you all really want to hear it. Something else that's also very important is the Atlantic 10, and it was a big night in the Atlantic 10 last night. Had a couple of more games today, and I know the A-10 is your wheelhouse, so I'm going to sit back and let let you babble about the A-10, and I know specifically <laughs> Dayton uh, for a couple of minutes. Well, I, didn't, I actually didn't get a chance to watch the game last night, so I'll have to defer to you on that. But the, the question I'd ask you, um, that's a great win by, by the uh, Flyers. Um, you know, I, I think St. Bonaventure is really, really good. I mean, they're, obviously their offense is really, really good. So the fact that they went there without Charles, uh, without Charles uh, Cook, who is their best defender on a, on a team of, you know, a lot of good defenders, and won that game um, was impressive. And then to come home and beat a really talented Rhode Island team, I mean, I think that – if there was any doubt that they are the team to beat, and I know I know BCU is off to a good start, and Jaquan Lewis looks like you know potential a player of the year in the A10. Um, I think Dayton's a front runner. Um, I guess the the question I have for you is, um, I know Hassan Martin only played uh, 20 minutes. It was his second game back from injury, um, and he only played 20 minutes in the first game back. Um, did he look 100% to you? Um, you know, I'll be honest, I only caught a few minutes of that game. So okay. I want to say for sure. Um, mm-hmm. That line wasn't the greatest. He played 20 minutes. Um, I'll say he, he looked okay when I saw him. 
Um, but I was going back and forth between that and um, who was I watching? I was watching Akron. Um, had a nice win at home against Western Michigan last night. The Akron team is quietly really good, by the way. Um, so I, I don't want to talk too much about Martin just because I'm not comfortable making a uh, call on that. But I mm-hmm. agree with you that Dayton is – at least Dayton is the team to beat in the Atlantic 10 until somebody says otherwise. Um, Rhode Island is real good. Show, they showed that last night. Uh, Bonaventure came back very well from that loss uh, to Dayton. And I think the final margin of that one was 16 points, but I think if you watch that game, you know it wasn't even that close. Um, no, yeah. Bonaventure beat – Bonaventure won at home today against a good George Mason team, 82 to 72. Uh, so give them credit for coming back. And I think, I think it's something that you're going to see really all season long. Here you have it, the top three that we've been talking about, you know, since November, Dayton, Rhode Island, VCU. And I think that fourth team, it's, I think it is St. Bonaventure with, uh, with George Mason, maybe right behind them. It's a very good league the Atlantic 10, and one that um, is going to be worth following the middle, I think, even more than the top, just because I think it's going. there's going to be a lot of turnover in the standing uh, as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we've talked about it on here a few weeks, but, you know, it's, as you said, the middle has teams that it doesn't surprise you if they beat a Dayton. It doesn't surprise you, especially if they lose to them, right? So, you know, right. St. Bonaventure, Richmond, George Mason – uh, LaSalle, uh, Davidson, just a lot of teams fall into that. UMass hasn't gotten off to the start, I think, some would have expected, but um, they have right. kind of a tough schedule to start here, so I, I don't want to fault them that much um, for that. But, yeah, but I mean, no, it's, they, it's they played fascinating. three of the best four teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there, there's no fault in what in what they've done. And that's a team, too, that has so many young players that it wouldn't surprise you, you know, in a month if that's a team that can – is going to be a lot a lot uh, better than they are now, um, right? And and by, by yeah. the way, looking at UMass's schedule, you know it was a little discouraging to see them lose by 17 at VCU, um, but fine. Their first three games home against Bonaventure at Mason at VCU they lost all three of those, and now their next three home against Dayton at URI and home against St. Joe's. So that is a really tough six game stretch to open up a 10 play, especially as you said, for a young team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, another thing is that, you know, this is kind of a minor thing, but um, uh, uh, DeMonte uh, Buckingham, a freshman for Richmond, um, scored a career high 22 points in his last game out. Um, and that, you know, with a TJ Klein, I know you, you've seen them live. I mean, he's a really good player. Yeah. So if they have another star emerging there, that's a team that I, I'd be really – um, excited to watch the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one team in that league that I'm still having a tough time figuring out, and they're just tipping off now. Maybe I'll catch the second half of their game is LaSalle. Uh, they're playing Duquesne tonight off to a one-and-one start in the conference. A um, couple of solid wins. They beat Lehigh at home. Lehigh's a real good team. Beat Gulf Coast at home. Gulf Coast also really good. Um, lost to Texas Southern, but you know, that's not the end of the world. It was on a buzzer beater, I think. Yeah, I'd say that one was on, um, yeah, that was on a buzzer beater. And I think, and that was like a, like a, 
like a, a 28 foot buzzer beater as well too. I yeah, think. So that was yeah. That, that that wasn't a cheapie. Nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. No, but without that, I think the pieces to be a really good team. We'll see if that's what they develop into. I really like Pookie Powell, the uh, six foot sophomore they have there. Uh, B.J. Johnson has shown that he can be a pretty good shooter. I like Jordan Price. So they have they have the pieces. Wouldn't be surprised if they could knock off a couple of good teams along the way here. Um, but if, if LaSalle's going to want to make the argument that they're relevant in this conference, first thing they have to do is beat the teams they should be. And uh, Duquesne at home, that's one of those games. Absolutely. I think that's a Duquesne team that is a, is a little bit better than a lot than a lot of people thought they'd be. So, um, but, it, but again, still, that's a game that, that they should definitely win. Yeah. Um, looking around the Atlantic 10, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on there? No, I don't think so. I mean, St. St. Joe's beat Fordham um, handily today. Um, and I just think that was impressive because Shavar Newkirk, who, who is, you know, one of the best players in the, in the A-10 is out now for the season. Um, so, so I, I think that was impressive. That's just a, you know, a small note there. Yeah. Uh, Fordham's not of, good. That, that team is, is not no, good. No, Fordham is bad. So I guess that's, I've, I've yeah. seen Fordham play. They're not good. Um, that's as expected. I, I really wish Fordham was in a league that fit them a little bit better. That's not the Atlantic 10. Um, but that's, yeah. I guess, I mean, a conversation for a different time. And they had that nice, uh, you know, their win-loss record last year wasn't that bad because they had a super weak non-con. Um, and they yeah, had a Super League knock-on this year, too, and but they didn't take advantage of it. So that, that whole kind of artificial inflation there, you know, is not going to be in their favor this year. So we'll have to see how it, how it finally is. They've lost 9 of 10. So, I mean, it's it's probably just going to keep going downhill for them. Yeah, Jeff Neubauer is not known for scheduling aggressively, you could say. <laughs> um, looking at some other scores from today, it's, you're not caught up. Um, just the, the heavy hitters, at least from the mid-major perspective, uh, Old Dominion beat Western Kentucky. I think that's as expected. Utah State beat UNLV. Chattanooga beat Furman. Uh, Stephen F. Austin, another loss. They lost to Abilene. Real tough first season out there for Kyle Keller, but ho- hopefully he could get that program to where he wants it to be uh, rather quickly. East Tennessee State beat Mercer. Uh, South Dakota beat IUPUI. Toledo beat Miami of Ohio. Charleston beat Hofstra. Southern Illinois over Missouri State. Little Rock over Appalachian State. Uh, New Mexico State over Chicago State. And Middle Tennessee over North Texas. So a lot of the really good mid-major schools won today. Of course, because we talked to Scott Cross a couple of days ago and we want to play that interview for you here in just a minute, because Texas Arlington was off to such a good start, of course, they went to Texas State and got upset today, 81-73, to 73, <laughs> kind of ruining what we had planned. We'll still play that interview for you in a minute. Um, but before we do, I, I said this right up top, you know, you're playing in – a league like the Sun Belt, it's not great. Um, but you have some teams that could beat you. It's so hard 
to run the table in any conference, no matter how good you are. And, you know, slip-ups happen. You can't afford too many of them. Uh, This was not a good loss by any stretch for Arlington, but it shouldn't take away from the fact that they have a win at St. Mary's, who is, you know, by any measure could be a second-weekend NCAA tournament team. They won at Texas, and I know Texas was a little down, but, you know, the terrible teams don't go win there. Uh, They beat Texas Southern. They had, you know, the three losses before this were also good teams, Minnesota, Gulf Coast, and Arkansas. So uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to look at this game as a blip on the radar for Arlington, something that could happen to anybody. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's something – and I wrote an article about uh, New Mexico State this week, and it was the same thing there. You know, they're obviously overwhelmingly, you know, the favorite in their league, as as you'd think UC Arlington is. As well. um, but there's something at stake every night in conference play, right? Because you're going to get everybody's best effort, um, and one loss just really hurts you. And that and that's something that. So, would you say they still have an at-large a case right now? No. Um, I mean, you know, if they went out and then, say, get knocked off in the championship game of the Sun Belt Tournament, maybe maybe I'll change my mind. Um, the wins against Texas and St. Mary's help. But it's, it's going to be tough to convince the committee that a team like UT Arlington should get in. Uh, maybe if they had beaten another Power 5 school like Minnesota or Arkansas. Yeah, and those I, are both teams that they, had, they had leads at halftime in. I think, you know, so it's just, yeah, for them, huge missed opportunities there. Yeah, I, I will say this, though. Uh, 68 teams make the tournament. I think it's, what, 32 conference winners and 36 at large, something like that. I will say that. That sounds right, yeah. You know, if, if Arlington wins out and loses in their conference championship game, I would say that Arlington is one of the best 36 non-conference championship teams in the country. Does that translate into a bid? I don't know. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I, and you know what? A lot of it probably depends on how the rest of the Sun Belt does as well. I mean, Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette's real good. If Arlington sweeps them, you know, maybe that means a little bit more than we realize right now. And the same thing could be said of Arkansas State. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, if St. Mary's, you know, flips at all in conference, and I don't think they will. But if they do, that that really hurts the resume too, because that is what what is like propping it up right now, as you said, with a Texas being down. And they could have a good run in the Big Twelve too, and end up you know fourth or fifth there. I don't know if that's realistic, but if it happens, that certainly helps the resume. But again, if, if St. Mary's falls at all, um, their resume starts to look a lot weaker. Yeah, and you know, it's not fair to St. Mary's, and it's not fair to Arlington. But it seemed like the last couple of years, the committee has used any excuse it could to not give credit to the little guys yeah. when it had a chance. Um, so that's why you have to really overwhelm. Um, and it's not fair, but I think that's that's the case until we're proven otherwise. And of course, they'll never say it. They'll never. The committee will never say that. But that's just how it seems to be right yeah, now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and as you say, you know, we we, we know a Kevin Herbie's really good. We know they have a really good backcourt. Um, and you know, we they went on the road to power conference teams and they competed. They played well. They didn't win all those games. So it just, you know, it just hurts that a team that was able to schedule well, we know is good, 
um, we know can uh, compete with you know most anybody. It's just it's frustrating that you know they there's time and time again they don't find themselves you know uh, in a good place on on selection Sunday. So that that but like you said, that's that's just the reality of the situation. And again, we have a long, long way to go here, and it's, I'm sure this is something we're going to talk about a lot uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but first, you know, as I said, we I talked to Coach Cross uh, earlier in the week. It was before their loss today, so keep that in mind. But um, we're going to play that interview for you now, and while we do that, I think I'm going to step away for just a second because I just can't stand the sound of my own voice. Uh, so I don't want to listen to it like that. But <laughs> I, I will gladly that? listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could summarize it for me, okay? Let me know how it goes. I will. I will. We'll All right, do. so here was my conversation uh, with, with Coach Cross earlier this week. We are now joined by 11th year UT Arlington head coach Scott Cross. The Mavericks crossed to a 12-3 and start, winners of 11 straight, owning a win over Texas, a win over a teachy good loyal, a Marymount team. They're the only team to beat. St. Mary's this season, so welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. All right, so, you know, big picture here, you guys are on your longest win streak in five years. You started 2-0 in conference play. You're one of the hottest teams in the country. What's been working so well for you guys uh, from the end of November up until now? I think our guys have have been playing uh, really unselfish basketball, and they've bought in the playing great defense, and then I think each game we're getting better and better as a team at rebounding, and I think that goes along with uh, Kevin Hervey and his knee as it gets better and better. I think we're becoming a better rebounding team. And then in conference, I think uh, what we've seen is we've also done a great job of taking care of the basketball. So hopefully that's a trend that continues because in order for us to have an opportunity to win the conference championship, we're going to have to be great a great rebounding team, and we're also going to have to be one of the better teams at taking care of the basketball. And they're t- taking care of the basketball. I guess I would start uh, with Eric Neal. He's one of the guys who I don't think he gets the appreciation uh, that he deserves. He's among the leaders in the nation in tests per game and score you know, when he needs to, when he takes really good care of the ball. What's been your impression watching him over the first couple of months? Well, he's been great, and I think uh, when he really started playing his best basketball for us was against uh, UT Dallas, and uh, yeah, I believe he had 13 assists and zero turnovers, and I think that's really when he just completely surrendered to doing whatever the team needed him to do, and uh, then that carried over the St. Mary's win, and, and he's also been way, way more active defensively for us. I think in our last game he's, he had six steals, uh, but he's a guy that's consistently getting double-figure assists. And he just he creates so many shots for the rest of the team. Uh, he, he he makes every player on our team better. And uh, if you haven't watched him play, I mean, he's definitely a highlight film. I couldn't imagine a, a more entertaining basketball player in, in, in the country than uh, Eric Neal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and, and the role that you guys have been on, it, it comes after – you lost a few games. You lost three to three quality teams. What did you learn over the first four games of the season uh, when you guys won one and three? Well, we I think at that point our guys just hadn't really figured out, you know, what it takes to, to win basketball games and be successful, even though, you know, we had a bunch of success last year. You, you know, you're, 
Kevin's coming back from an injury. You're mixing the lineup up. He hasn't been practicing a whole lot. Uh, but, you know, what the score doesn't tell in all of those games is we, I believe we had 16-point wins and, I mean, uh, leads in the first half in all three of those games, and we blew it. Uh, and, and a lot of it was, I think, our guys, uh, since it was early in the season, they kind of panicked at different points, and we got careless with the basketball. We turn it over, they come down, they score. We take a bad shot, they come down and score, and it just it got out of hand, and those leads just evaporated. And you're on the road, and the crowd gets involved, and uh, I think our guys uh, you know, have learned to just trust what we're doing, trust the teammates, not panic. When the other team goes on the runs, just understanding that that's part of basketball and just continue to, to play the right way. And what I mean by playing the right way is, are we making them take tough shots and are we taking good shots? And if we're doing those two things, I think we have a great opportunity to be successful. And, you know, you, you mentioned Harvey coming back uh, from injury. Is he back to 100% now? I still don't think he's 100%. Uh, he's just not – completely confident, crashing offensive boards like he was last year. Uh, we saw a glimpse of it against Coastal Carolina. He had about three or four in a couple-minute span that, you know, I was just like, wow, those are big boy rebounds. And uh, it, it reminded you of last year. He didn't quite do it against App State. Uh, but I think as the season progresses, we're going to see more and more of that, and he's also going to realize that, you know, by him doing that, he can get four to six more points uh, as well just by going to the boards a little more aggressively. But I think it's just the confidence factor, you know, in his knee. He still has to wear a knee brace, and he still has some pain that he deals with on a day-to-day basis. So I think, uh, you know, each game he's going to continue to get better in, in those areas. Right. And, you know, you even tell as, as he works his way back, it seems like he's had a few really good games against, with some of the tougher opponents on your schedule, at, at least that's why. Is he someone that you feel, you feel even now uh, that he's not 100% you can still count on him uh, in a big situation? Oh, no question. I mean, I feel 100% confident out there with him. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, like Eric, makes his teammates better. Uh, he's a great passer. He has an unbelievable feel for the game. Uh, I have confidence in his shooting. Uh you know, his, his three-point percentage hasn't been as high, but if you watch him shoot, he shoots the ball beautifully. I think the biggest key with him is taking, being a little bit more selective with his shots. I think uh, that's probably been the reason why his percentages aren't probably where they should be, but I think he has the the form and the ability to be a 40% three-point shooter, and so I'm confident uh, as the season progresses, those numbers are going to go up. Uh, he's starting to be a lot more efficient uh, inside the three-point line. I think against App State was probably may have been his most efficient Division One game this season. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he's going to continue to get better and better. But you just feel confident with him out there. He's a guy that oozes confidence. He wants the ball in tough times. He never panics when teams are pressuring. Uh, he always feels that you're going to win the basketball game, and I think uh, that that confidence uh, definitely becomes contagious with our basketball team. Yeah, and you know, look, looking up and down uh, your roster, you, obviously it's Kevin and Eric who get a lot of the attention, um, but everybody's contributing in, in your starting lineup and even off the bench as well. It, 
that, has anyone in particular, other than the two of them, surprised you at all this year? Nobody surprised me, but I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, our success is as much, if not more, <laughs> coming from those other guys that don't get the headlines. Uh, you know, you take one of those guys off our team, we're a completely different team. Guys like Jalen Jones, Drew Charles, Kalen Wilson, uh, Nathan Hawkins, Faith Pope, uh, even Julian Harris has been playing great, DJ Bryan. I mean, all all these guys have been, uh, you know, huge uh, players for us uh, you know, Jalen Jones is a guy that does it all. He can pass, dribble, shoot, defend, rebound, you name it, he can do it. And Drew Charles, I mean, if you go back and look at the wins we've had in St. Mary's and Loyola Marymount and you watch the shots that he's hitting in crucial points in the game and then you look at his percentages and he's, you know, close to 50% from the three-point line. I mean, he's as, as efficient as any player there is. And, and you know, a guy like Kalen Wilson is just so explosive coming off the bench and, provides an instant offense for us and could easily be starting for us and playing 30 minutes a game, but he sacrificed his ego uh, for the betterment of the team. And then Jorge Bilbao is a guy that just uh, does all the little things and doesn't care about points or who gets the credit. He just wants to win basketball games. And, you know, usually when he plays the best guys and, and the guys that everybody's talking about being all-conference or going to the NBA, that's usually when he plays his best basketball uh, defensively. And every one of those guys that's been a great post player, he's held them under their average and make their life uh, miserable on the on the offensive end. And it must help that most of your guys are juniors and seniors as well, so they've been through it all. No um, question. Before. I mean, they're in anything they haven't seen. They've uh, basically all these guys have played together for a year, so they don't know what to expect from each other. And, uh, yeah, I think juniors and seniors just have a little more sense of urgency. They have a little bit more confidence, and it definitely makes a difference. And, you know, looking at uh, at your conference this year, it seems like there's a lot of good teams out there. I mean, Louisiana Lafayette's off to a good start. Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State. Uh, and do you see this as a really deep league this year? Who do you kind of see as the threats to that going forward? Well, you just named every single one of them. Uh, <laughs> I think all of those teams are capable of winning the league. Um, you know, there, there's even teams, you know, Troy and South Alabama are – you know, teams that are super talented and, and have a chance. Uh, you know, Little Rock's the defending champions until somebody knocks them off. But I, I think you kind of mentioned the teams right now that are trending that direction. Uh, uh, you know, obviously Arkansas State's been playing as good as anybody in the league. Uh, Lafayette's been playing awesome as well. And uh, the two Georgia schools are going to be extremely tough. Uh, everybody scares me in the conference, though, in uh you know, usually conferences are that way, uh, but there's always, you know, one or two teams that you can kind of, you know, look to and say, well, if we just play halfway decent, we can win these games. I don't think you can do that in this league. I think, uh, you know, from top to bottom, there's not much separation. Even, you know, our first two games that we won, Coastal and App State, I mean, you know, a couple of plays here, a couple of plays there, all of a sudden those games are tied and they're completely different games. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's too uh, – you know, who's going to be focused and locked in every single game because, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, one game separates the first and second place team and maybe, you know, all the way through third, fourth, fifth place. Uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if a game separates uh, one through four or five. Right. 
Uh, so, you know, let's let you go in a minute. But before I do, is there anything you want to say to anyone who's listening, maybe hasn't seen you guys play basketball yet, that uh, you want people to know about your team? Well, I think we play an exciting style of basketball. We do play up-tempo. Uh, we do shoot a lot of threes. Uh, we, we have a lot of guys that are uh, extremely athletic, and, you know, we probably average two, three, four dunks a game. It's a, it's, it's a fun style to watch, but, you know, we pride ourselves on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, you know, our mentality is that we take the stairs and do all the little things and don't look for shortcuts, and we're going to sit down and defend and, uh, do whatever it takes uh, to be successful. And so we're, we're a blue-collar team, uh, but we also have a lot of guys that can uh, make plays that are that, that are going to get people and fans excited to watch. Again, we want to thank uh, Coach Cross for coming on and talking with us. Um, you know, again, the, the loss today, I don't think it really takes anything away um, from what he had to say Uh Greg, I like I said, I put my headset down and walked away for most of it, so I couldn't hear myself. <laughs> you did uh, a great job. Talk, you did, but I can. Oh, thank you. I can uh-huh. say that. Great, good. One thing I always like is when a when a coach will say, "We take a lot of threes and we dunk a lot." That that draws me in. Um, yeah, that's pretty fun to watch. That that hits all the boxes there, certainly. Yeah. Um, so what uh I, I don't know, you you have any thoughts on uh on UT Arlington? I think uh Kevin Hervey's one of the more exciting players that people don't really talk about and you know, if you really, really like to watch great point guards, Eric Neal at five ten, um among the lead uh I should say national leaders in assists. Uh, they, they have a couple of couple of guys that are really, really fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Eric Neal, um, you know, a 12th in assist percentage in the nation, um, and that's a ahead of guys like uh, like Monte Morris, Lonzo Ball, Emmett Nahr. Um, You know, so, yeah, and that, you know, it, obviously a coach is going to be excited, of, you know, glowing about their a player. But I, I just thought you could tell the way he was talking about Neal that that's a guy that he really is happy is on his team. That, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, one thing that we've kind of made it a uh, a habit of doing on these is uh, trivia towards the end. I do have a trivia question for you if you're interested. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm 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 ready to be embarrassed. Is that a yeah? That's for sure. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this might be a really easy one. It might be. So. You know, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke are the two longest tenured head coaches in the country. The third is a mid-major coach. The third longest tenured head coach is a mid-major coach. Can you name him? Well, I'm thinking this might be because it's relevant. Is it a uh, Dave uh-huh. Luz? Okay. No. That's, that's very close. No. Oof. Dave Luz well, is uh, actually number seven on the list. Number seven. Oh boy. Okay. So uh, Bob McKillop was my other initial thought. Bob McKillop. I don't think six. it's okay. Oh boy. I'm I'm out. Those are my first two right there. Uh, oh, I'll give you a hint. Is it a Greg a Campy? 
No, it's not Greg. It Campy, is Greg Campy. He's, yeah. Is it Greg Campy? Okay, because he was. Yeah. He because he, he was there before they became uh, Division One, right? Yes, for a long was. time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so thirty-three years, I believe it is. Wow. And he does not. You know, he doesn't look that old. He doesn't say. look old. No. No. Impressive. But well. Yeah. It's I hope our open are still listening. Oh wow, that is that's a long time ago. Jeez. Yeah. And he does not look like an old dude, so good for him. No, yeah, he's he's doing something right. Yeah, it, it, my hint to you was going to be you better get this or you're going to uh, get help <laughs> for it on Twitter. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, I'm glad that I third time was a charm, but I don't think that counts as uh, being correct. So I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll gladly lay down. <laughs> well, you, you got it eventually. Um, you know, I, I know we both want to uh, get back to watching, um, get back to watching basketball on the uh, non-mid major side. Oklahoma State is actually up three on Baylor in the second half, so that's something to keep an eye on. And then a bunch of uh, mid majors still going at it, so I think we could leave it right there. Um, unless you have anything else uh, that you want to touch on quickly before we go. No, no, just, you know, I think uh, one game I'm looking forward to tonight is uh, Boise State, San Diego State. I know the Aztecs oh, you know, are coming off that loss at, at Nevada, but I really, I've been high on Boise State. Um, that game's at home, I believe, for Boise State, and I, I, I think this is just, um, I would like to see them win to affirm my faith in them, but, um, you know, it's a great <laughs> program out in San Diego, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, if it's a good game. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's That one, and also Nevada and New Mexico is going to be fun, too. Uh, yes. In the Mountain yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we'll let you all go and enjoy the earlier games and then enjoy those a little later tonight. Uh, for Greg Mitchell, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, and we will catch you next time here on the Mid-Major Madness Podcast.